And we continue to worship today with our scripture reading. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 21. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 21. And the title of our message today is The Gospel According to Abraham, Resting on God's Promises. This is the word of the Lord. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Parasites, 
Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. What a picture. What a vision. To see God come down from the heavens to encounter this great man, Abraham. We see in scripture many of these wonderful encounters in the Old Testament. Remember when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Or when upon the mountain, God revealed his, his back to Moses as well. Remember when, when Peter, James, and John went up with, with Jesus and saw Jesus transfigured and saw Moses and Elijah appear. These encounters with God himself changes people. These encounters with God himself encourages his people to know that God is present, that he is here, that he has not abandoned you nor me. This picture of God appearing to Abraham is in a very real sense a picture of the gospel itself. The gospel meaning, how is it that God saved humanity, you and I? The gospel meaning, how is that gospel applied in our lives? The gospel meaning, how does Jesus save? But what does Abraham have to do with it? What does the Old Testament have to do with it? Today, I pray that the Lord will show you through the scripture how faithful God has been from the very beginning, how unchanging the message of the good news has been from the beginning, and how that same God who saved Abraham it's the same God who has saved you. Now, if we recall from last week, even two weeks ago, you would see that, that God called Abram out of his country. And he said to him, listen, I'm going to make you a promise. I will give you many, many descendants. Your seed will flourish. I will give you a new land, the land of the Canaanites. And not only that, but I will make you a blessing to all the nations. Now, if we look at Abraham, Abraham was a man of great faith. And the reason why he was a man of great faith is that Abraham actually never received any of these things. That Abraham, whenever God would tell him, listen, Abraham, I want you to go to this land. Abraham just went. When God said to Abraham, just be patient, I will give you a child. Abraham just waited. When God told Abraham, listen, this child that was promised you, go and, and take him to the mountaintop. Abraham just went. 
Abraham is pictured as a man of, of great faith because he simply did what God asked him to do. But Abraham was also a man like you and I who failed at many things as well, who did not exercise that faith 100%. And here in this chapter, this is the first time that Abraham is actually speaking to God. And Abraham is speaking to God, asking God basically, I need assurance, God, to know that these three promises are going to come true. I need assurances that you will indeed make my seed great, that, that my generations will be great. I need assurances that you will give me this land. I need assurances that I will be a blessing to the nations. You see, there's nothing wrong with going to God, brothers and sisters, with questions. There's nothing wrong with going to God and asking God, God, that which you have promised in Scripture to me, to your church, to your people, when will you fulfill it? We who live on this side of Jesus, but before his second coming, we can rest on the promises. God, you say your Holy Spirit in me will purify me and make me more like you. I know that I won't be perfect, but you promise that you will help me and you will sanctify me. Help me. And God will hear you. God promised that if we were to pray for the nations through the name of Jesus, that we would see the power of Christ amongst the nations. And we look around and we go, God, where is your power? It is right for us to go to God and say, God, the promise that the nations will eventually be yours, when will it come? I am here to pray. And this is all Abraham is doing. Abraham is not going to God and saying, oh God, you know what? Um, I would like a nice, uh, nice little palace or God, I would like, you know, for the next technology, I want the Bronze Age to come right away. You know, he's not asking for those things. He's asking for those things that God has already promised or willed to him. And so when you look at Abraham coming to God, even his questionings, or questions about, God, you promised to fulfill your will through me. When? We also see Abraham as a man who's very, very patient. Uh, I think I said this last week, but I don't think I would want the life of Abraham. This is a difficult life. I think part is because I'm a uh, living in this modern world, and same with you guys. If I were to say to you, listen, I will promise you that you will be rich, but not you, your great, great, great grandchildren will get it if you follow me. How many of you will raise your hand? I would sign up for that right away. 
If I were to say to you, hey, you know, not you, but your great, 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 great grandchildren, you know, your grandson, your granddaughter is going to become the president of the United States if you do X, Y, and Z. How many of you raise your hand and go, dude, I'll do that? But Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham was a man who understood that it's not the timing of my lifetime, but it's God's kingdom as a whole. That is important to me. It is God's vision of what he wants to do in this world. God's vision of what he wants to accomplish by bringing the salvation of many to him. That allowed Abraham to move forward. Now the Lord is gracious. In this chapter itself, the Lord decides to help Abraham understand that he will be faithful to his promises and his covenant. What Abraham, what God does is he makes a contract or a covenant with Abraham. Now, think of a contract nowadays. Like if you were to marry someone or if you were married, you make a contract or a covenant by the vows that you give to one another in, in sickness or in health, in life or in death, you know, so forth and so forth, in riches and, and, and want. And you make those promises to one another, that covenant with one another that says, I will do these things. When you rent an apartment, you, you have a contract or a covenant that says, here's the responsibility of the owner. Here's the responsibility of you, the tenant. And you must keep that contract or there are, there are consequences to it. Now, the contracts in the ancient Near Eastern time is a little bit more harsh than that of today, which are just a piece of paper. But the contracts of those days were, were like this. If, let's say, an empire came and overtook a, a small nation, you would have uh, the sovereign nation in their, in their vassal. And the, the sovereign nation would say to the vassal, here's the covenant or the contract of how much you will pay me, how much... Uh, um, human resources you will give me, so forth and so forth. And he would say, listen, this is how we're going to seal the contract. We're going to bring an animal and sacrifice it right before you. And when we split the animal apart or cut the animal apart or, or kill the animal, you will walk in the midst of it, or in this case, you will walk through it. And what you're saying as you walk through it, that is your signature on the contract. And what you're saying is that if I don't keep my contract, let me die or be killed just like these animals. Now that's a contract. <laughs> Forget paper. That's a contract, a covenant made in blood. Now, if the parties were equal, let's say, then you would have the two nations walk together. And both of them would say, listen, if either one of us don't keep the terms of our contract, then let one or the other be as these animals that have been sacrificed. Again, this is a serious contract that is being made. 
And what God is doing here in, in making this contract or this covenant with God's people, and what God is trying to convey to Abram and convey to all of us is that there is going to be a contract about how I will bring salvation to the world. I will put down exactly what it's going to look like or what I must do, what you must do in a sense, in order to restore this relationship between God and humanity. And so God reiterates, I will make your people into a great people. It's not going to be you, but your fourth generation. You will have the land, but the sins of the Amorites aren't at its fullest yet, but you will one day have the land. And one day you will be a blessing to all the nations that through your seed, all the world will know who I am and be blessed because of your relationship with me. So the terms are set. God's words are set. And then when Moses goes, I'm sorry, when Abraham goes into this deep sleep, there's a fire pot that appears with a torch. And this fire pot that appears with a torch is simply a theophany of, of, of God. It's a representation of God, or, or it's even God himself. And God is sort of saying, listen, here are the terms. God himself signs the terms when he walks through the sacrificed animals, the animals cut in two. And God is doing something here that is absolutely remarkable. God is saying that if I don't keep the terms of this covenant, let me who is infinite become finite. Let me who can never die, die. Let me, who can never lie, be found to be a liar. All of these impossible things. But what God is saying is, as sure as I am God, I will keep my promises to you. For us as God's people, we understand that, that the promise of the gospel of our salvation is not found in ourselves, that the continual application of the gospel is not found in our works, but it's found in God's holy promise and covenant with his people. God himself is the one who saves. God is the one who calls you out. God is the one who places his spirit in you. God is the one who gives you joy in him. No one else, nothing else. but a covenant between two people, or at least two parties. And so a second question here that Abraham was saying is basically, how do I know I can keep my end of the bargain? God, you say you'll keep your end of the bargain, but how do I know that I can be faithful? I don't know about you, but I resonate with that. God, you've been faithful to me. You love me. God, you've given me salvation. God, Jesus lives in me. 
but how can I be faithful to you? Because if I count my works, and if I had to walk through that, there's no way I could come out of this unscathed. Now in this chapter, what Scripture teaches us is that Abraham simply believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. God said basically to Abraham, all you need to do is believe that this work, this promise of, of, of the gospel will come through. All you need to do is believe. And God credited it to him as righteousness. It's not Abraham accomplished righteousness. It's not Abraham did the work and, was, and received righteousness. It was credited to him. It was given to him. It was graciously put um, into the record book that Abraham was righteous. And we see that even here because Abraham never walked in the midst of the animals. Think of that. This is unheard of. Remember what I said? It's usually it's the, it's the sovereign nation who will make the vassal nation walk through. Right? Why, would, why would the sovereign have to walk through? It's like, I have all the power. You need to walk through. You need to keep the, the conditions that I've put as a nation that's been conquered by me. People who are of equal parties, you understand, well, both of them should walk through. But to have only God walk through is a picture of humility and love of our God. No one, no nation in all of history would ever do that. But God has done it. And God did not look at Abraham and say, it's your turn. You walk through now. You show me you can keep the conditions of this covenant I'll keep my end, you keep your end. And then I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. I will give you the land that I promised you. I will make you a blessing to the nations. No. But God credited it to him as righteousness. God credited it to Abraham as if he did walk through there. God credited it to him as if he has fulfilled the conditions of the covenant. We know that because we look back in Genesis and we see the blessings that God has poured out through him. What's going on here, brothers and sisters? What's going on here in the Old Testament? What's going on when, when, when the readers read this in, in, in that ancient context? What's going on when, when we here read this as people who, who know Jesus in the light of what Jesus has done? We see that the conditions of the covenants are still there. But when God walked through, he walked through both as God and as man. Let me say that again. 
When God walked through, he walked through as a sovereign God with the promises that he will keep. But he also walked through as the man God known as Jesus at that same time. Because the conditions were not met. Abraham was not faithful. Abraham's seed was not faithful. David was not faithful. The people of Israel were not faithful. They were exiled because of their faithlessness. And the question was, when we go back to Genesis 15, is that you've promised this, God, but all the conditions need to be met. And they were met. Because when God came as the Son of Man, as Jesus the Christ, he came as both man and God, fully human, fully divine. And he paid that punishment, that penalty that Abraham should have for his unfaithfulness. That the Israelites should have paid for for their unfaithfulness. And when Jesus died on that cross, what happened is Genesis 15 was fulfilled. God, came, God kept his end of the bargain. We as humanity kept our end of the bargain, but through Christ and Christ himself, his sacrifice. And through that, Salvation has come to all, to all who would believe in him, to all who would walk with him, to all who would rest in him. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the, the, the greatest pictures of the gospel that we have in all of scripture, aside from the cross. If someone says to you, Jesus is not in the Old Testament, or that God acts differently in the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's not that way. It's God acts the same way everywhere. We just don't see it yet. What does this mean for you and I? It means that our salvation, our confidence, right? It doesn't rest in us and what we do. Faith is not primarily an action, but faith is primarily resting on a promise. Faith is not trying to accomplish something that you think God wants you to accomplish, even if it's a good thing. But faith is simply resting that God knows what is good. Martin Luther talked about it this way, faith Faith is like a stone. It just sits there. Stone doesn't go anywhere. It sits there. It has weight. It's, it's faith. And it simply soaks up the heat of the sun. And as it soaks up the heat of the sun, it soaks up God's presence and God's love. God did not ask you to walk us. He did not ask us to walk through the so sacrificed animals. God did not ask us 
to die on the cross so that we can save ourselves. God's asked you simply to rest in him. Rest in our Lord. Be thankful for his grace to you. Rest in the Lord when things in the world seem to be going sideways. Rest in the Lord knowing that God's kingdom will come. Rest in the Lord knowing that he'll return. Rest in the Lord. For his promises are assured. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you are and what you have done. Lord, the gospel is, is very simple. You came to save sinners, of which we are the worst. You saved us, Lord, not through our abilities or works. You saved us not because we deserved it. You saved us out of sheer grace. You fulfill the promises, Lord, of salvation. You are the author. You are the one who accomplished it. You fulfill the covenants and its demands. And then you are the one who graciously has given it to us. And Lord, we receive it, Lord, by faith. And we know, just as Paul says, that that faith is a gift from you as well. That faith does not cause us, Lord, to, to wonder what we can do to please you, to earn salvation. But that faith causes us to rest in you and to be all, all, all in you. To allow us, Lord, to weather every circumstance. To anchor our souls to the, the ground of salvation. That no wind, Lord, would, would, would move us, Lord God. That no earthquake, Lord, would, would swallow us up, Lord. That, that, that nothing would separate us. So, Lord, call us to you. Refresh us again. Help us all to take deep breaths in the gospel, to gaze upon that beautiful cross, and to know that we are loved and loved deeply by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.